0: on local now channel 525 it's lifeline with craig roberts he's the host of northern california's longest running
2: conservative talk show
0: he's a man with a message a conservative with compassion he's lifeline's own craig roberts
2: good afternoon northern california welcome just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. When you think of it, so much of life has become temporary. There are those of us with a little bit of gray around the temples, old enough to remember the fact that, well, today, no longer do you collect gold watches after, say, 25 or 30 years of service to one company. We no longer raise families and retire in the same home where we spend ultimately 50 or more years in. And our marriages, well, they no longer make it to what was once a typical golden anniversary. Many of these challenges in the way life has changed, particularly related to marriage, goes down to one core issue, that it's becoming increasingly more challenging under the changes in society today, to establish and maintain solid marriage relationships. But before we completely give up hope, there are some important key steps that you can today implement in your married life to change things around in a most dynamic and God-honoring fashion. Joining me now is Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. And Dr. Smalley, great to have you on the program.
1: Hey, Craig, thank you so much for having me today.
2: Well, isn't it amazing how so much of life in just, you know, maybe a generation or two has changed so dramatically. Remember dad working for the same company for 30-something years. They still live in the same house that I was raised in when I was a kid. And today, all of this has changed. We don't keep our jobs as long. We don't live in the same house as long. And sadly, we don't stay in marriages
1: as long either. Yeah. It, it's true. And I tell you what, you know way back in the 70s, through the, the I, I think the, one of the biggest things is the whole no-fault divorce. And uh, I, I don't think people really realize um, how much that has really hurt us. And, and, and I, that's why I'm thrilled as a country that right now, you know what, marriage is is in the news all over the place, and I'm hoping that part of the outcome will be that we really, you know, uh, that that we realize, like Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage should be honored by all, that, that we really learn. As a country, again, how do we honor marriage? What is that going to look like?
2: Here's the absolute irony. You talk about no-fault divorce, and what we're really saying is, well, if it's nobody's fault, then it must be everybody's fault. Right. Uh, we, we all play a role in this. And, and toward that end, you've come up with some key steps that I think we can go to school on today to help people better understand the important relational moments, and you know, we know that, that good marriages take time and they take work, but if you begin to break it down into all of the, the incremental elements, a lot of this stuff, quite frankly, is just good common sense if we just take the time enough to examine it and begin putting it into practice in our daily relational lives.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I, I believe one of the best things that we can do for our marriage is that we've got to learn how to work through and manage conflict. You know, there's a lot that we need to do for marriage, but if we started there, because it's inevitable, it's going to happen. You know, you can't take two people, you know, who have different personalities and genders and, and all these things and, and expect that they're not going to bump into each other, that they're not going to, you know, have conflict. They're not going to hurt in. And, 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 and wound each other and, and, and the problem that I see is that so many people are uh, you know, are afraid to go through conflict. they avoid it, they sweep it under the rug they, they, they want to ignore it. And, and the truth is that conflict can be used in our marriage to strengthen our marriage. That's when I get to learn more about my wife, her feelings, her needs. I get to learn more about myself, you know and you know maybe it, it shows something's going on in our marriage that needs to change. I mean conflict, really is a good thing if we can learn how to do this in, in, in a healthy way. And, and this
2: is so key because what you're suggesting then, Dr. Smalley, is that, in, and oftentimes we'll couch this in terms of, well, I can't get along with my wife because, and we'll you know, we we'll pile a bunch of baggage there or, or the husband, whatever the case might be, suggesting that there's some sort of a, a personality defect here. But what you're really talking about, and I took note of the fact, you didn't say avoid conflict. You said manage it, right? be able to work through it. So this isn't a, a personality defect. It's a skill deficit.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we use the phrase even conflict resolution. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I don't think the goal is to try to figure out some resolution so much as it is the process. Can we develop a process that we can use anytime? conflict comes up. So whether we resolve it or not, it's not the issue. I think it's how we do it. And unfortunately, most couples do this in a way that just doesn't work. And one of the biggest things that I see with couples is that we're taught to when we get into an argument, when we get hurt, when there's a problem, that we need to just hang in there and power through it and try to talk it through. And I think that is the biggest and worst advice that you can can give a couple. Because one, I don't think it works. When, when you're hurt, when you're wounded, when you're upset, when you're frustrated with your spouse, what I think is going on is you get these buttons of yours, these emotions get pushed, these buttons get pushed, and then your, your heart literally kind of closes. You shut down, and then you just start reacting, and, and, and in that mode... There is no way that you're listening. You're not able to hear. You're not able to understand. And that's why when people are in an argument, they need to kind of separate from each other. They need to take a break, a time out from each other. But I'm telling you, Craig, we're not taught to do that. We are taught to try to power through it. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. I mean, it's, it's setting people up for massive failure. And that's really what, what I did in the book was to try to show you, here's a process. Because I, what, what I love is that if you take a break and work on you first, you need to learn how to get your heart back open. Because when people have open hearts, we're able to talk all day long.
2: But, and this is so key because, you know, I would imagine in, in your role as Executive Director of the Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family, you're hosting a nationally syndicated radio talk show, you've got patients, you've written books, the whole nine yards. Yeah. That you talk and hear from people all the time, this whole issue of conflict it sounds to me that this is this is perhaps then less about conflict in the end it it's not this major difference between the two of us in fact we both both sides of the marriage really want the same thing don't we that yeah. is to 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 the right to be heard and the need to hear
1: right we want the, you know people want connection we want we want to be connected we want intimacy you know we we want to be heard understood listened to like you were talking about and it's just sadly what happens is that in that moment that we're hurt or in conflict or whatever it is, that, that we're, we're, we, we are just taught to tr- keep trying to, to push through that. And, and, and it doesn't work. That's why one of my very favorite verses is in Matthew 7, 2 through 5. It says, why do you look at the dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? And I love that the scriptures give an order. It says, first, first get the log out of your, your own eye, then you can see clearly. And, and how I relate that back to conflict is saying, okay, when, when you're in the middle of an argument, you have to understand that your heart has now closed. You are shut down. And when you are shut down, you are more likely to, to react, to say things, to do things, to retreat, you know, in, in a way that, that's not going to help you get to where you want to be. Therefore, quit trying to talk this through first. That's part two. Part one is that I need to go off by myself and, and figure out what is going on. I need to let my emotions settle down. I need to, you know, for me, you know, prayer is such a great time to, to just to settle down, to get God's perspective, to say, hey, God, I don't know what's going on, but boy, I'm, I'm mad about something. What 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 is the button that got pushed? You know, what... How do you want me to to treat my wife? You know, you created her. Help me to understand her. You see what I'm saying? I mean, if you work on you first and get your heart back open, see, then you can come back into that conversation. And and, And I promise you it will go so much differently. We fail at communicating through conflict because usually both hearts are closed. And in, in you just can't talk through that.
2: And so often, though, we also, Dr. Smalley, put so many expectations and demands on the other. Oh, yeah. That we can't control. And yet what we can control, we do nothing with. So right. if we're concerned, for example, about the fact that we feel as if we're not being heard, our spouse is not hearing me, and yet we've closed down and we're so focused on what we're not getting that we ourselves are not hearing our spouse either. Right. Well, one is an observation, but the other is something that I can actively change and that I have 100% control over.
1: Totally. I mean, that's, again, I can I can control me. I can choose how I want to show up. And, and, and that's why I, I say to people, you've, you've got to have a break. You just got to step away. Tell your spouse, you know what, right now I can't think clearly. I'm shut down. I'm going to go, but I'll be back. And and, and that's I think that's the, the, what we do to then set up the opportunity to really to work through conflict. If I can get my heart back open, see, now I'm... I, and I tell people, you, you, will, you know how your heart is open is when you want to be a listener, when you are willing to be a listener. I love in the, in the Chinese language, there's a, the, the, the character, the symbol for the verb to listen is made up of three kind of little characters that come together. One stands for eyes, one for ears, and the other for open heart. Isn't that cool? Mm. So to to listen is with your ears, your eyes, and your open heart. That's the evidence to me that you're ready to enter back into that conversation, that dialogue with your spouse when you are going, I want to I want to seek to understand you rather than me being understood.
2: Dr. Greg Smalley is with us today. He, of course, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. Information, too, on the web at SmalleyMarriage.com. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline with Dr. Greg Smalley continues here on KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our special guest in this edition of the program, he's Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. He co-hosts Everyday Relationships and is the president and founder of the Smalley Relationship Center. You can get more information on the web, in addition to information about his more than 40 books on the topic, at SmalleyMarriage.com. That's SmalleyMarriage.com. Dr. Smalley, just before the break, we were talking about the need to, to kind of step back from the conflict instead of just trying to pile through, because that piling through process often means just making a lot of noise. Uh, working a lot, very hard to be heard, but not really hearing. Right. Um, and you made mention, I found it fascinating to, toward the end of the last segment about the Chinese character for hearing that has to do with both open eyes, open ears, and an open heart. So I guess it's kind of pulling back, moving into neutral corners, so to speak, and taking account, it's amazing how many arguments will, will suddenly build up and gain momentum, and that train is heading down the track with, with no brakes, when we take a moment to step back and really ask ourselves the question, what is this all about? We either find out that there's a whole lot to do about nothing or that it's connected to some other hurt or pain that happened in our life that, that might have just been sort of reactivated by something that our spouse did or said.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's why I, I'm, I'm telling people that, that usually it's not that we can't communicate, that we've got to learn some new communication method telling you. The problem of why we have a hard time communicating is when your heart closes, you've got these buttons that are all stirred up, and you're frustrated, you're shut down, you're now in a reaction mode. And that's why the, the the biggest, most important step in learning how to communicate through conflict is you dealing with you. And you can't do that in the presence of your spouse. You really do need to step back. and And that's why I always tell people when you're sort of in this timeout spot, what you're trying to do is, one, there, there is power in putting a name to how you're feeling. And again, when we're in the middle of a conflict, we're not even able to think about, how am I feeling right now? And put a word to that. And yet, and there's research that was done that showed that when, in the middle of an argument, when people separate and they and they think through, okay, what is it that I'm feeling right now? I'm feeling, you know, devalued, disrespected, disrespected. Uh, uh, not good enough, like a failure. I mean, when you put a word to how you're feeling, it it physiologically calms you down. It, it it they see on these these brain scans to where the the amygdala, which is your fight or flight center, it's kind of the emotional part of your brain. Brain is all lit up when you identify how you feel. The the brain scans showed that that all of a sudden that information moves to the prefrontal cortexes, which is how where you make good decisions. Mm. And so even even the act of simply going, all right. I'm separated now. I'm on my own. What? what yeah. What? How do I feel? What? Is, what's the word that I would use? It just. It has tremendous power. It's that simple. And then I. I think as Christians, what's so cool is that we take them, those emotions to the Lord, and we're asking for His truth. What is true about me? Is it true that I'm a failure? Is it true that I'm being disrespected? What's true about my wife? You know. And and I and I love that. The so, think of so many verses. That, that talk about how 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 you know God is truth that He gives us the Spirit of truth the Spirit of truth will lead us to all truth you know that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and that's what I I love you when you're then able to do that you now can come back in and just do what you were born to do which is you can talk through things with your spouse when you're calm down and your heart's open and it you know at really the end it's of the, that simple
2: and at the end of the day. Reopening those lines of communication or sometimes establishing them for the first time as much as that seems to be uh, particularly intimidating, particularly for us guys that don't do a real good good job emoting, uh, and we, we, we get very intimidated by this idea in that sense that, well, my wife does all the talking and I do all the listening things of that sort. You've put together a list of five daily relational moments that I think, Dr. Smalley, really go a long way toward Teaching us just how easy it can be to communicate at that level, so that the needs are getting met by by both sides of the of the couple. Take a moment, if you would, in the the four three or four minutes that we have left in our conversation, just walk us through, if you would, these five daily important relational moments.
1: Absolutely, you know, I in in, in why I think these moments are so important is that I think you could you could kind of boil everything down to doing this. If you want to have a great marriage, you need to, one, learn how to manage conflict well, but then on the other hand, you've got to learn how to invest, proactively invest in your marriage every day. Marriage doesn't have cruise control. You can't set a setting and think it's going to be okay. So as long as you're managing conflict, investing in your marriage, I mean, I'm telling you, you're going to have a good marriage. And I think one of the best ways to invest in your marriage Instead of adding all kinds of new things to your already busy plate, you because, know, Craig, I, I see that, that so many people are just were so busy, exhausted, worn out, too much going on, overflowing plate, that when I tell people, hey, instead of adding you know, five more things you need to do now for your marriage, what if we just looked at what's going on every day and take advantage of those, use those everyday moments to strengthen your marriage? For example, every day you're going to leave, leave the house during the work week, how you choose to leave your home can either strengthen your marriage or take away from your marriage. And, and, and what we know is if you take a moment and just, you know, let's say you, you pray for your spouse, you encourage them and, and, and give each other a kiss goodbye, that right there, you've strengthened your marriage. That should take no more than 10 seconds. See, you're not adding something else. You will leave the house. How you choose to leave can, can strengthen your marriage. You're going to return home. You know, you, how you come home and reenter your house in the evening can be used to strengthen your marriage or not. So when I come in, do I beeline for the TV? Do I beeline for the kids? Or do I walk up to my wife and say, hey, great to see you. You know, love you. Give her a kiss. Can't wait to spend time with you tonight. You mean know, just something that simple. Again, not add, you don't add anything. You're going to walk into your home. Just walk in, <laughs> into your home in a way... Going to strengthen your marriage. Every you're going to fall asleep at some point. How you say good night to your spouse can strengthen your marriage. Simply taking 30 seconds to pray for your spouse, to thank him or her for something they did throughout the day that you appreciated. Thanks for hey picking up my dry cleaning today. That was a big help. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's just it's it's identifying some key moments. You know, during the day as we're gone. You know, can I not? Send a quick little text message to my wife. I mean, I've got to be gone. Why not just send her a text message and and just tell her I love you thinking about her? I actually did this the other day, and accidentally, I mean, I got into sort of this this crazy little message to my wife. Send it to my boss. (laughs) By mistake. And so he texts me back, going, Please tell me this was meant for your yeah, wife. I
2: love you thinking about He's you. Absolutely. I <laughs> said, No, it was
1: for you. But uh, that made our meeting awkward. But anyway, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? I mean, there, there are moments. You know, for you, the moment might be um, we're, we're taking our kids to their sporting practice. You know, well, can you use that to, to ask each other questions? You can listen to the radio, you can do a bunch of stuff, you can be on the phone, or we can ask each other. Just some, some great questions. Hey, you know, what? You know how'd today go? How are you feeling? How are things going between you and the kids? You know, what's one thing God's teaching you as a plate? You see, there, there are moments that go on that I think most of us just let these moments go by. And, and, and let's take those back and use them as things that can really strengthen our marriage.
2: And, of course, the irony is it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a very little, min, min, minimal amount of effort. It's simply giving a greater sense of importance to our spouse a sense of honoring them and valuing them. What's the old saying? It's it's the little things in life that count. It would be amazing to see how far and I would just, I want to challenge both the ladies and the men in the audience. Try it. Oh, you don't understand how difficult things are in my marriage right now. Purpose in your heart today to start tomorrow. When you get up in the morning compliment your spouse. Honey, I'm glad that uh, you're my spouse. I hope you have a great day. Um, speak words of encouragement into their life as you know, your husband is going off and you know he's got the big meeting today. Say some words of encouragement. Stop at the door for a minute, guys, before you're leaving and saying, Honey, I know it takes a lot of time and energy to, to maintain this household. I know you've got a big agenda today. You've got to take the kids to soccer practice and you've got a doctor's appointment. You've got to go shopping and all these things. I just want to let you know I value you, and I recognize and appreciate the hard work that you do in creating such a loving home for us. Wow, how far that will go. And then, as Dr. Smalley points out, look, even the guys, we got time to check the box scores in the middle of the day. Send a quick text. Try not to send it to your boss, though, and and let your spouse know, thinking of you, babe, I hope you're having a great day. Can't wait to see you tonight. When you arrive back home, pause for a moment. You realize that your spouse, if she's been home all day, uh, maybe young kids in your family, she have been really deprived of any adult communication. She's she's eager to connect with you. You, on the other hand, you've been out in the working world all day long. You don't want another conversation. Find a moment, if you can, between the two of you to just acknowledge each other and each other's needs for a moment. And then finally, as you end the day, uh, to show a sense of gratitude and appreciation, a moment in prayer together And if you implement these steps, I think you'll see an amazing turnabout in your marriage relationship. Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. More information, too, on the web at his website, SmalleyMarriage.com. And, Dr. Smalley, thanks so much for the time today.
1: Oh, Craig, my pleasure. Thanks for all that you're doing to encourage marriage.
2: You bet. Keep up the good work on your end as well. There's Dr. Greg Smalley from Focus on the Family.
0: Now back to Lifeline with Craig
2: Roberts. Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. There was a famous film many years ago starring Frank Sinatra. And at one point in the movie, there's a line as he's pondering the possibility of becoming a father for the very first time. And he opines that you can have fun with a son, but you've got to be a father to a girl. Well, there's a degree to which that might be true. But from the broader perspective, I think most today would argue that Boys and girls both need a solid male role model, a father in their life. And, of course, God designed it that way. And as we look at the many struggles that we see with the American family today and the difficulties in society, quite often we draw the conclusion that it's either an absent father or a father who grew up lacking the proper modeling from his own parents in order to really understand what it means to be a husband and a father and a man. Taking a look at this topic today, a new book entitled Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, and its author, our guest today on Lifeline and certainly no stranger to KFAX listeners, he's Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today, heard weekday mornings at 8:30 a.m. right here on KFAX. And Dennis, as always, a thrill to have you on the program.
0: Craig, great to be with you. We love the Bay Area and uh, have a ton of listeners out there. We're thrilled to be on your your station.
2: And great for the opportunity to talk about this new book, a, a book that I think, you know, dealing with a topic that perennially seems to be a challenge to our society today. Uh, It's amazing how oftentimes women will call up to a program like mine, and I'm sure you at Family Life Today hear it all the time. They'll just say, I only wish my husband would be a father, or if he could just learn how to be the man of the household. Why is it that this seems to be, for growing numbers of men in our society today, so problematic that they don't understand what it means to be a courageous man?
0: Well, I think for the past uh Well, at least three decades, and maybe four, men have been fair game to make fun of, to uh, pull out the gender blender culture that we have and kind of homogenize men and women together and say, other than the obvious physical differences, there really are no differences between the sexes. And God made them male and female. He made them uh, to be two distinct sexes with different assignments and certainly some mutual responsibilities But I think a lot of men today are confused. They don't know how to do manhood. And as a result, they don't have a vision for what it looks like. And what I did, Craig, was about 12 years ago, I I decided I was going to write a book to men and come alongside them and call them to courageous manhood and encourage them in the process. Not beat them up, not take them to task, not shame them, not blame them but just say, come on, you can do this thing. Let me give you a vision of what it looks like and talk about some steps that a man needs to take in his lifetime. And I'll tell you, Craig, I thought it was going to be an easy assignment, but I had four false starts in writing this book, and finally on the fifth time I was able to uh, get it right. And uh, we've slung it out there, and it's really been flying out the door. We had over 20,000 copies sold and a little over three and a half,
2: four months. Wow. And, and, you know, when we think of this topic, I wonder how much of the problem, beyond the fact that there's been a a breakdown in the the lineage of role modeling from father to father to son and so forth down through the generations. Then, too, I wonder, Dennis, from your research, is part of the problem here, too, also a a false understanding of what manhood means? I'm thinking of, for example, a lot of the exaggerated Hollywood images. You know, the guy covered in tattoos that smashes aluminum cans on his forehead, and that somehow is an image of modern-day masculinity?
0: You know, I think to answer that question, I'll just take you to the five steps, because I think the answer is found as I kind of walk my way through them. Um, I believe there are five steps a man was designed to have before him as he goes through life. The first one is boyhood. Uh, He's designed by God to step out of boyhood into adolescence. That's the second step. And Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13... Uh, when I was a child I thought as a child I behaved as a child but when I became a man he said what what did he say I put away childish things and so God designed a man not to stay on the boyhood or the, the adolescent step but to step up to the manhood step and not not straddle with one foot in manhood one foot in adolescence, standing sideways I believe he designed us to turn our backs on youthful lust, on wanting to play games, on wanting to uh, abdicate responsibility and assume the responsibility of what it means to be a man, get a job, get married, raise children, become a father, and not just father children, but raise children with purpose. And then there's those two final steps that I have that most men don't realize are out there and don't, don't experience the bonus and the benefit of, but there's the mentor, the mentoring step, and then there's the patriarch step. God designed men, I believe, Craig, to, to multiply their lives out. That's what, it, that's what it means to be a mentor. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. He said, these things which you have heard from me entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. There were four generations there. God made men to be a mentor and to be mentored. Every man listening to my voice right now ought to have a couple of younger men who he's mentoring, reaching down, calling him up. And he ought to have one or two older men in his life that are calling him up. We all need it. We were all designed by God to not only help others learn and become disciples, but we were also called to be learners as well and to be disciples of Jesus Christ, too.
2: So lacking all of this, I mean, it's easy to see that one of the the fundamental problems then in developing a biblical understanding of what manhood means, that courageous manhood, as you talk about inside the book, is that what, we're we're either skipping some of these stages or steps, or we get them out of order, or or perhaps just simply get stuck.
0: Well, you know, I'm going to read you something from the book, and it's not something I wrote. It's from an advertisement. And I'll not tell you who who did the advertisement until I finished the piece? But it's, it's an, unlikely, an unlikely source to be writing something so pithy about being a man. Here, here it is. Once upon a time, men wore the pants and wore them well. Women rarely had to open doors, and little old ladies never had to cross the street alone. Men took charge because that's what they did. But somewhere along the way, the world decided it no longer needed men. Disco by disco, latte by foamy, non fat latte, men were stripped of their khakis and left stranded on the road between boyhood and androgyny. But today there are questions our genderless society has no answers for. The world sits idly by as cities crumble, children misbehave, and those little old ladies remain on one side of the street. For the first time since bad guys, we need heroes. We need grown-ups. We need men to put down the plastic fork, step away from the salad bar, and untie the world from the tracks of complacency. It's time to get your hands dirty, it's time to answer the call of manhood, it's time to wear the pants. Now, Craig, that was an advertisement for jo- for Docker's jeans.
2: Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wish I'd I'd written that myself.
2: Absolutely. I mean, talk about an accurate depiction. I mean, as you were reading that, Dennis, I thought, boy, so much of this summarizes what has been the the feminization of manhood and the masculization of femininity.
0: and, And, Craig, I think within the chest of men, there is a desire to do the courageous thing. I think they really do want to take the step up and make the difference in the world God designed them to make. Today at lunch, I had lunch with a guy who um, uh, I had met uh, as a result of of having a problem in, in my life that I needed a professional to help me with. And he possessed the skills I needed. And in the process of him fixing what I needed to have fixed, I gave him this book. He calls me back two days later and he goes, I couldn't put it down. He said, Dennis, the reason is... They handed me two babies when I became a father, and there were no instructions mm-hmm. on them. I didn't know what it meant to be a man, a husband, or, or a daddy now. How do I do this thing? And so I think we, we, we kind of reserve heroism and uh, courageous acts for soldiers on a battlefield, which certainly that occurs. But I think today, Craig, some of the most heroic acts that are occurring are men... Who are pushing away from pornography they're assuming their responsibility as husbands they're taking on the the load of the covenant that they made with their with their wives when they got married a number of years ago and they say I will not quit I will love you as Christ loved the church I'll nourish you I'll cherish you I'll face this issue we've got with debt with illness with a child and we'll face it together and that's the kind of courage that's needed today. And um, I just think men long for another man to come alongside them and put his arm around them and say, You can do this thing. You really can.
2: look at Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. Its author, our special guest on this edition of Lifeline, Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today. You can get more information about the ministry online at familylife.com. That's familylife.com. And of course, tune into the program weekday mornings at 8 30 a.m. right here on KFAX. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Dennis Rainey on his new book, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Welcome back to Lifeline. Once again, we're visiting today with a very dear special guest. Many of you, in fact, to spend your mornings with him as part of Family Life Today, weekday mornings at 8.30 here on KFAX. He's Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today. New book out entitled Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. You know, part of this, I think, the disintegr- disintegration that we've seen, Dennis, over generations, that kind of generational disconnect in areas such as mentoring and and patriarch and so forth, I I walked into the bank the other day and there was a woman a couple of steps behind me and so as I got to the bank door I pulled the door back and stepped aside and I just you know prepared to kind of nod my head with a good morning greeting and instead she turned to me and said thanks but I'll I can get it myself. Ah. And, <laughs> and I thought, you know, all the hard work that my dad went through 40 something years ago, plus training me how to open a car door for a lady, open the, the the door to the grocery store or whatever for a lady, because that's what gentlemen do in polite company. And now fast forward a few decades and suddenly you're getting yelled at for doing what I had learned to be was just a proper, proper and appropriate manly behavior.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, common courtesies. Uh, we don't think of that being a part of being a real man, but I'll tell you what my dad was was that way he He didn't grow up with a lot of training, but he was a real gentleman, and he treated women with nobility and respect and um uh and with honor and I picked that up from him, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think if there's ever been a need for us to have an epidemic of common courtesy and and for men to lead the way in this training their sons, it's today. And, and I'll tell you, one of the ways we need, to be, we, need to be, uh, we need to show common courtesies and kindness is when we go through the airport and we go through TSA and we're having to take our shoes off and put our computers in the, the plastic bins and go through there, just try, try this the next time you go through, Craig. As a man, look look, look one of them in the eye and say, you know, I want to thank you for your work. I'll bet you, you get a lot of compliments, but I just want to thank you for your work. And you know what I've been told? They've said, I, we've, I've been spit on. Uh, I've been cursed out numerous times. People seldom say thank you. And I've had a number of them come back and say, you know, I really appreciate for you expressing a, um, a gratefulness to me. You're the first person today. Or, or maybe the first person in a long time. Or I, think our con- I think our country um, is kind of spiraling downward toward more of a barbaric behavior. When men don't behave as men, as God designed them to be, um, the result just isn't good.
2: Well, and I think part of it, too, as you underscore inside the pages of Stepping Up a Call to Courageous Manhood, is this disconnect, Dennis, uh, that we are seeing a lack of, of maturity. Uh, an absolute fleeing from any level of accountability or responsibility. And and as much as there is this generational disconnect that so many young men and girls, for that matter, that are being raised in single-parent families where there's either not a mom present to to model for the kids or a father present, and and all of a sudden this fundamental disconnect in the way God has established our society – from a biblical standpoint, is, is I think, in many degrees, causal to this. Because let's face it: if you don't have anybody to model after, then how will you know how to behave when you get to adulthood?
0: You know, I've got a quote in the book in the, on the bo- about the boyhood step, and it reads like this: "A boy without a father, a boy without a father figure, is like an explorer without a map." Mm-hmm. Boys need men fathers who are fully standing on the manhood step reaching down to them on the boyhood step saying come on up son here's how you do it and they talk about how you do it but they also model how you do it and and i just remember my dad my dad's my dad's dad deserted him when he was a boy along with his other eight siblings and i don't know where my dad learned how to be a man learned how to be a father a husband but, but he could have been a victim. But he decided not to be passive, but to, to initiate. And and I believe initiation is one of the essences of masculinity. Passivity is the exact opposite. The easiest thing for a man to do is nothing. Uh, I'll tell you a story. I think I told this story in the book, but I went to one of my kids, eighth grade Uh, dances at the cafeteria. And when I arrived at the cafeteria, the the dance had been going for a while and the room was almost totally dark with the only light that was on was over by the door where a bunch of parents were huddled up. And when we walked in the door, the parents said, have you seen that dance they're doing over there? You're not going to believe how how vulgar that dance is. You just got to go look. So I kind of thought, this is kind of interesting. The kids are all over in the dark doing something obscene, and the parents are in the light. So I walk over there, and I'd never seen a dance like this. But they were right. It was absolutely off the charts vulgar. And so I sat there, and my hands started getting clammy. And I thought, I'm I'm afraid of a 14-year-old teenage boy who's got pimples all over his face. I'm 45 years old, for goodness sakes. What is wrong with me? And so I just stepped out and stepped up, and I tapped the young man on the shoulder and says, Hey, knock it off. That's obscene. You shouldn't be treating that young lady like that. And I turned to the young lady, and I said, Young lady, you're going to be somebody's husband someday. You're going to be some, some husband's wife someday, and, and you need to make sure young men treat you with respect. And I looked over my shoulder, and here comes another parent. He started tapping people, young, young people on the shoulder. Billy Graham made a statement. He said, when one person takes a stand, the spines of others are, stiffen, are stiffened. Courage begets courage. And I think what's missing today, uh, Craig, is we're not telling enough of these stories of how men have done courageous things. I want to ask you to answer this question right here on the air. Uh, This is one of my favorite questions to ask other men when when we get together and have dinner and we got time to answer the question. The question is this, Craig. What is the most courageous thing you've ever done in all your life? Wow. Now, as you think about answering that, let me tell you what courage isn't. Courage, or what, what, what the answer isn't, excuse me. It's not saying, I've never done anything courageous. Courage is doing your duty in the face of fear. It's doing your duty in the face of challenge. It's it's doing your duty and refusing to do nothing. And all of us have performed numerous acts in our lifetimes that were courageous. And what happens is men don't talk about how they've been courageous in in maybe some relationship they had. Maybe it was with their father maybe confronting him about alcoholism uh confronting him around an affair i've had those things mentioned as we've talked around the dinner table you know courage is not reserved for a battlefield in a foreign country courage can occur in all kinds of settings and situations so craig what's the most courageous thing you've ever done in all your life
2: Well, I tell you, thinking through the answer to that, I I pondered back to a time in North Korea going in with a group of fellow Christian broadcasters, and there were a couple of ladies in our group, and we were bringing in some Bibles in with us. That is, of course, a massive no-no, and one of the border guards was about to catch one of the ladies. And I came in and and, and basically created a bit of a distraction, putting the attention off of them and on to me. And, of course, I'm carrying Bibles as well. And I thought, well, if somebody's going to end up going to jail here, it's probably better me than them. That, That was one of the stories that came to mind.
0: That's good. You had to face fear, and you did your duty. You stepped up. And, you know... I just think with this movie coming out this weekend, Courageous, uh, we've been interviewing Alex and Stephen Kendrick on our broadcast, Family Life Today. If you missed it today at 8.30 uh, on, on Family Life Today, you can go online, listen to it. You really ought to listen to the interviews of these guys, because I think God's up to something calling men back to courage, specifically courage around being a man, being a husband, and being a father, and caring about our community. Craig, I I think today what is happening in community after community across our country is evil. Evil is preying upon our children, our families, and it's eating them alive. And some of the evil is being pumped into our homes at our own volition and choice around choosing pornography. And so, for some men, the most courageous thing they need to do is break an addiction. They need to step away and step out of something that has control of their lives, and and step up and say, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, the doorway through which light and righteousness gains entrance into my home
2: not sin. So much of this, people. Dennis, is about making the right choices and I, I want to pause on that point point, allow our listeners to ponder. We're going to take a brief time out, come back to some more observations. Our special guest today, Dennis Rainey, host of Family Life Today, the broadcast, weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Just go to FamilyLife.com. That's FamilyLife.com where you can hear not only the podcast of today's broadcast of Family Life Today, but also get information about ordering a copy of Dennis's book, the one we're discussing right now, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. A brief time out back with some more insights from Dennis Rainey as this edition of Lifeline continues.